0: the son and the holy spirit amen in the history of warfare there have been famous speeches recorded before battles by leaders seeking to rally their troops and rouse them to fight in 1588 queen elizabeth I said to soldiers fighting the spanish armada i'm amongst you at this time not as for my recreation or sport but being resolved in the midst and heat of the battle to live or die amongst you all To lay down for my God and for my kingdom and for my people, my honor and my blood. In 1864, Abraham Lincoln said to the Ohio regiment of the armies of the north, It is not merely for today, but for all time to come, that we should perpetuate for our children's children this great and free government, which we have enjoyed all our lives. I beg you to remember this, not merely for my sake, but for yours. The nation is worth fighting for to secure such an inestimable jewel. And in 1942, British General Bernard Montgomery said to his soldiers fighting the Nazis in North Africa, I have ordered that all plans and instructions dealing with further withdrawal are to be burned and at once. We will stand and fight here. If we can't stay here alive, then let us stay here dead. Today, we also get some final words from St. Paul and from Christ before embarking on this time of great spiritual warfare of Lent. St. Paul gives us rousing words of fighting for the day and the light against the night and the darkness. His words more focus on the big picture, whereas those of Christ today are more of the details of the mission on forgiveness, on how to fast, on what to treasure. So today I'd like to look at some aspects of both of their messages before concluding with a special look at the rite of forgiveness which takes place today. So firstly, St. Paul speaks about casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light. He says that the night is far gone and the day is at hand. This day is the victorious kingdom that Christ has ushered in. And this is an eternal kingdom that we can participate in now, be people who live in that now, or we can serve the ruler of this age. In the Lord of Spirits podcast, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Father Stephen DeYoung point out that we can unwittingly participate in the action of the devil in the world, in the same way that we become godlike by participating in a life of virtue, in the sacraments, and in the whole Christian life, leading to what we call theosis, or sharing in the divine life. We can also become more devil-like by participating in a life of sin. And in doing so, we lose our humanity. This is graphically pointed out in a book like The Metamorphosis by the Roman ancient writer uh, Ovid. Uh, contemporary of Christ and in this work we see people transforming into animals or into inanimate objects often based on their actions and the things that they have given themselves over to. We see the Serasti, men of Cyprus, these murderers transformed into bulls or the violent and bloodthirsty Lycaon turning into a wolf. And the same thing can happen to us too. It's like a reverse theosis, a diabolosis, when we share in the acts of wickedness. So let us cast off the works of darkness, says St. Paul, and put on the armor of light, behaving as people of the day. One of the ways that we either conform more to the image of God or to the image of Satan is in what we treasure, and here we see a connection to the gospel. In the gospel today, Christ warns us about putting our hearts in our material treasure. Attachment to things, to food, to drink and clothes, our comfort, our possessions, our career, our image, or even attachment to the praise or the opinion of others. And here it doesn't matter what we say, uh, where our treasure is we can say all day long that our hearts belong to God but Christ shows us that what we treasure will reveal where our hearts are truly at so this time of fasting then in Lent is a chance to to pry loose the things that barnacle that themselves onto our hearts or captivate our hearts and for us to set our hearts on high after all we say this every time we celebrate the divine Liturgy: The priest says, let us lift up our hearts and we all join in by saying we lift them to the Lord. But do we really, do we really lift them to the Lord or do we lift them to something else? The fast is a chance to shake off these attachments and reattach ourselves to Christ through prayer and spending more time with him, through fasting and creating some distance between myself and the things that I'm attached to and in good deeds for those around us so that I become less attached to my own sense of self and my own comfort and well-being and focus more on that of others that we may be more conformed to the image of Christ rather than the image of the enemy of humankind whose attachment to pride or to his treasuring of himself led to his demise So today as well, we participate in the rite of forgiveness each year in the liturgical calendar. And there are a number of reasons why we do this. Firstly, it's in obedience to Christ's words. He says that if we don't forgive each other, God won't forgive us. And over the course of this year, we may have accumulated offenses, misunderstandings, letdowns from each other, either intentional or unintentional. And we get to wipe these clean and start afresh. But there's more to it as well. In the book, The Way of a Pilgrim, which I feel gets mentioned quite a lot, uh, an unnamed pilgrim travels throughout Russia visiting holy sites and learning how to pray. And at one point he is preparing for communion and he wishes to organize a confession. So he makes a list of all the sins that he can... Remember, and he brings it to a priest. Now the priest looks at it and says, You've written many empty words, but you've, an, you've not acknowledged your most grievous sins. You do not love God, you despise your neighbor, you do not believe in the words of God in Scripture, and you are filled with pride and ambition. Now the pilgrim is stunned when he hears these words and he says, How, how, how is it possible to not love God? or believe in the scriptures. And as for people, I wish good for each and every one. And he's kind of really taken aback by by these words. So to this, the priest hands him a slip of paper entitled, The Confession of the Interior Man That Leads to Humility. And he asks the pilgrim to go and read it. And it has lengthy sections dealing with each of these uh, charges that the priest has leveled against him. And... For time's sake, uh, I'll only read the one that uh, speaks about having no love for his neighbor. And it says this I have no love for my neighbor, for not only am I unable to decide to lay down my soul for the good of my neighbor according to the gospel, but I won't even sacrifice my honor, happiness, and peace for the good of my neighbor. If I loved him as myself according to the gospel, then his misfortune would distress me too, and his good fortune would delight me. Yet on the contrary, I am more curious to hear unfortunate accounts about my neighbor, and instead of distress, I feel indifference. Or worse yet, I seem to take pleasure in this, and I do not bear my brother's bad actions in silent love, but am judgmental and publicize them. His well-being, honor, and happiness do not delight me as if they were my own, Instead they are alien to me and not only do they bring me no joy whatsoever but in a subtle way they even generate a kind of envy or contempt. In short, we ask forgiveness of each other because we do not love each other as fully as we should. We acknowledge how far off the mark We truly are how how far off the path of saintliness we truly are and sometimes we can deceive ourselves when we just tell ourselves yes I do love my neighbor as I love myself now this attitude of asking forgiveness and accepting this reality of the lack of our love should be our attitude not only in this coming ritual at all times and to all people. I once heard an Orthodox priest speak about helping the poor and the homeless. And he said the most important thing that we need to do when we help the homeless is to ask them to forgive us. And that struck me as being so humble and so wise. And it places him, this priest, working with the homeless, beneath the people that he is seeking to serve. And it empowers them. And it is a a healthy and spiritually beneficial way to approach people in the world. We can look at the world and we can see a lot of evil out there And it's easy to point the finger at evil people and uh, to blame them for what they bring upon themselves. But the reality is that if this world is so far gone, it's at least in part due to Christians who have not shown the witness that they should have shown in their lives. And us in general not showing the witness we should have shown in the 2000 years of our history. The writer Brennan Manning says that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Even St. Basil the Great, living in the fourth century, accepted that the crises and the conflicts that he was dealing with in his life and the this tumultuous period of um, facing various different heresies and challenges to the church. He accepted that these all were taking place because of the sins of the Christians. And it's not so much a punishment from God, but a natural consequence of us choosing to perpetuate the acts of wickedness and darkness in this world. Again, referring to the Lord of Spirits podcast, the priests there speak about uh, there being a taint of sin when we engage in sinful acts in the world, a metaphysical taint that is left behind. And uh, we inherit this in our church from the Jewish understanding. St. Sophrony of Essex writing uh, the biography of St. Siloan, the Athenite speaks about this and he says that sin is committed first of all in the secret depths of the human spirit, but its consequences involve the individual as a whole. A sin will reflect on a man's psychological and physical condition, on his outward appearance, on his personal destiny. Sin will inevitably pass beyond the boundaries of the sinner's individual life to burden all humanity and thus affect the fate of the whole world the sin of our forefather Adam was not the only sin of cosmic significance. Every sin, manifest or secret, committed by each one of us affects the rest of the universe. And it's such an astonishing thought. And hence the importance of incense in in our church, of the sprinkling of holy water, of prayers of blessing, of prayers of exorcism. These help liberate what has been contaminated by our sins and the sober reality is that we negatively impact the people and the creation around us when we participate in sin and the opposite is true too that we positively impact the people around us and the creation around us when we participate in the life of the trinity and here we uh, think about the lives of the saints and the great impact that they had not only in their time, but across the centuries due to the holiness that they participated in. Now finally, we ask forgiveness in this ritual today in identification with all humanity. Saint Sophroni again says that the ascetic learns the great mysteries of the Spirit through pure prayer. He descends into his inmost heart, into his natural heart first, and thence into those depths that are no longer of the flesh. He finds his deep heart, reaches the profound, spiritual, metaphysical core of his being. And looking into it, he sees that the existence of mankind is not something alien and extraneous to him, but is inextricably bound up with his own being. And this is a truth revealed by Christ himself. Last week, we saw that he identifies with the least of these in the gospel reading from Matthew 25, the final judgment. He's not simply using a poetic metaphor. He reached those depths and identified with all humans, from the greatest and the purest, like the mother of God, to the worst person who ever lived. And this connection to what unites us all is why his sacrifice impacted all of us positively. I'd like to conclude with an excerpt from the brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. And again, this is another book that I feel tends to get uh, referenced quite a lot, but with good reason. And this um, a section that I'll read, I think encapsulates a lot of the spirit of what I'm speaking about here. And we have the elder Zosima in his final address to his monks before his death. He's a very elderly man. This is his final call to battle, so to speak. He says that anyone who has come here to the monastery has acknowledged to himself that he is worse than any layperson and all that is on this earth. If this were not the case, there would be no need for him to come here at all. When however he realizes that not only is he worse than any person, but that he is guilty before all, for everything and before everyone, for the sins of all people, individually as well as collectively, only then will the goal of our seclusion be attained. This realization is the crowning glory, not only of the monastic way of life, but of every human being on earth. It is only through this realization that our hearts will be moved to boundless, universal, all-consuming love. How can this be? How can we be guilty before all and for all? I confess that I don't fully understand it. But I do know that in this is found the foolish wisdom of humility. I do know that this is in imitation of Christ, who, though sinless, took all of our sins upon himself. I do know that when I have tried, albeit very poorly, to apply this principle in my own family and in my own life, what I see is that there is no room for bitterness, for blame, for rancor, and resentment because the only one to blame is myself. I see a little more that I have contributed to the challenging situation and I see that the problem of the person before me is in fact my problem too. I understand a bit more what St. Paul means when he says that we are members one of another from Romans 5 and why he goes to such great lengths to exhort his readers To not judge each other, as the epistle says today. So on the eve of battle, so to speak, may we be more and more children of the light and children of the day. And we realize that this is nothing other than being people who live more and more like Christ. This means treasuring the things that are truly lasting. Love, forgiveness, and Christ-like humility. May God help us to show all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.